Hi, this is Reverend Tommy, and I'd like to welcome you back to the garden where we explore the big questions about life. I invite you to open your minds and be receptive to seeing things differently. So let's get metaphysical. First, I want to say thank you again, guys. Seriously, I mean, you know, uh, I don't know if I should do lesson right after that because my molecules get off crazy and the blood's going 100 miles an hour and stuff. I need, now I need the meditation so I can calm down <laughs> a little bit, you know. But anyway, that was really, really touching. That was really nice. I like that. So uh, unity principles. Today, I will be continuing with my series on the five unity principles. Today's lesson is principle three, which states human beings create their experiences by the activity of their thinking. Now, before I get into that, I want to touch a little bit on the first two because it's kind of a building block type of a thing where one leads to the other. And I know that sounds a little linear, but that's how we kind of tend to think. So we'll just work with what's familiar. Step one, principle one, God is absolute good, everywhere present. Now, this is nothing new for anybody. We've all heard this before. We've all been told that God is good, love, that God is all-powerful, that God is everywhere, and that God knows everything. And not just Christianity. Pretty much all the religions say the same thing. So we've heard this before. What's the big deal? Why make a principle out of it? Well, for me, it has to do with my new mantra, and I will repeat it for you. We have got to change the way that we see things. Why? Because if all those attributes of God are true, then it's a fair question to ask, what else other than God is there? And the answer would be nothing. Everything is covered. The bases are loaded. The only thing missing is me or you to step up to the plate and hit a grand slam home run because it is you who are not fulfilling your part of the bargain, of the deal. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Every now and then I need to get me an amen, you know, <laughs> because it makes me realize that you're actually here and paying attention. <laughs> Plus a little bit of the theater, you know, come on, you got to work with me on this a little bit. Reverend Devonport, in her book, says, summarizes chapter one by saying, God is all. Now, as a panentheistic philosopher, I have to add a little something to that. God is all and then some. Meaning, God is not just the sum of all the parts. It is the sum of all the parts and then some. Is that a strange idea? Not really. I've talked about it before. Remember when I said, suppose you go to Texas Stadium, you know, and you're by yourself there and, you know, the Cowboys score a touchdown and you go, yay, you know, that's one sound. But when you have 80,000, 90,000 people there and they all make that sound, then it creates an entirely new sound that cannot be duplicated or created by the individual part or parts by themselves. It's a new sound. So that's the difference, basically, between pantheism and panentheism, that God is all and then some. So where do we go from here? We go to principle two, obviously, and what does that say? It says, human beings have a spark of divinity within them, the Christ within. 
In the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, it is written that we were created in the image and likeness of God. Well, that's principle two, basically. And Reverend Devonport, in her book, summarizes principle two as we are God. Now, granted for many, that might sound a little blasphemous or blasphemous. I like that word. <laughs> but, but it's not at all. It's not at all. Emerson, Emerson wrote, the greatest revelation is that God is in every man. Was that blasphemous? In puritanical New England, it sure was, actually, as a matter of fact. But you know what? Emerson is in good company because Jesus was accused of being blasphemous as well. Listen to what is this series of events here in the Gospel of John, starting at 1030 through 1036. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any of your good works, they replied, but for the blasphemy, because you are a mere man and you claim to be God. And Jesus answered, is it not written in your law? I have said that you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the father sent apart from his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. Jesus, for me, was simply stating the obvious. And that is that if God, as I said before, is everywhere and thus everything, and we are created in that image and in that likeness, Jesus was saying, how am I not like that? Simple as that. Granted, there's a little hint of a separation in the language there, but you have to put it in the perspective of when, who and when this was translated and who and when actually wrote it. Because later on, he does make reference to the idea that we are all capable of doing what that which he was doing. That there was, in fact, nothing unique about him. He said it all the time. From the perspective of oneness, this makes perfect sense because how could he or we be different from that which is everything and everywhere? Of course we're that same way. So we set up the groundwork, the framework of the universe and the framework of ourselves. Charles Fillmore, Unity co-founder, said that this is a spiritual universe. That's what he said. Now, new science is telling us that it is an energy universe. It's the same thing, using different language. The point is, the universe, and thus we, are not fundamentally material in origin. We and it are not non-material in origin. And you can call it spirit, or you can call it energy, or you can call it whatever you want. But that's the point. So now what? So now he sets the framework up. It's a spiritual universe. Now what? What's the next question? The next question is, well, how do things work? What determines what manifests? Why do we see what we see? Or more importantly, experience what we experience. If there was rhyme and reason to all of this, 
Wouldn't you, in fact, want to know? Well, of course you would. Because it at least would give you some idea that maybe you have at least to some degree some control of what's going on in your life. Now, is such a thing even possible? Well, old science was telling us that it, that it was not a spiritual universe, that it was a material universe made of matter. And everything we saw was a random uh, result of atoms colliding. And that's all it was. But new science is saying quite the opposite. That's not the way it works at all. Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, whom we love to quote because he says that one quote that we love, we're not, we are spirits having a human experience. We're not humans seeking a spiritual experience. We're backwards, it's the other way around. Well, he also said this, the universe as we know it is a joint product of the observer and the observed. Pierre Teilhard was a Catholic priest and a paleontologist from not too terribly long ago, actually. The implication is clear that there is rhyme and reason to this universe and thus to our lives. At least that's how things are shaping up at this point in our awareness. Whether that's ultimately true or not true, I don't know, but at least it's better than living in a totally random universe with a whimsical God who's basically rolling the dice. We are passengers in that theory. We are passengers in a runaway car going down a mountain slope with no steering and no brakes. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't make me feel too warm and fuzzy. And I, and I like to feel warm and fuzzy. And you, maybe you do too, you know. So the universe is a byproduct of the observer and the observed. This is essentially what principle three is saying. Human beings create their experience by the activity of their thinking. I'm going to reread that for you. But this time around, I want you to truly pay attention, to be mindful of the words, and especially be mindful of the implication of the words. It says this, human beings, that's me, that's you, that's all of us, Create their experiences. Create their experiences by the activity of their thinking. Do you fully understand just what that means? I'll answer that for you. No, you do not. And, but don't feel bad. Neither do I. Neither do any of us. Because if we did, we'd see things extremely differently. And we'd have a different experience altogether. See, in this new scenario, now we would no longer be passengers in a runaway car. Instead, we'd be the driver with full control of the steering and brakes at work. The point is here that it is we who are driving our individual lives, not some random force of some sort. Now, to be fair to ourselves, we can't be too tough on ourselves because we do live in a world in a society that tells us everything to the contrary of that. And they've been telling us all along. We're very external oriented. So you add that inundation of a negative idea, of, of incorrect idea, way of seeing things, and maybe add on to that, you know, re reincarnation possibly, that's true as well, that we've been doing this for hundreds of lifetimes or something. 
and you get the result of something that's really deeply embedded in your subconscious mind. And you know we're operating pretty much 90, 95% of the, in the subconscious level at any given time, which is why we were talking about being mindful and getting into the present moment to get into that practice of being present and getting our focus into the, into the current situation, which, which the good news is that we can change. See, as, as drivers of this vehicle, we can change direction. We can change our lives at any given moment. As Michael always keeps saying, and I, I picked up on it, this creation thing is not something that happened a long time ago. It is happening continually. I hope you're picking that up. It's not something that happened 14 billion years ago or whatever it was. It is something that is happening continually. So Reverend Devonport in her chapter on this summarizes principle three as co-creating with God. Now this is a new way of expressing this idea of co-creating with God. We, call, we say we're not victims of the universe. We are victors of the universe. Not that victor, but victors. <laughs> but thanks, Victor, for being here today. <laughs> and in fact, if you will recall, when I did the lesson uh, by Bruce, Dr. Bruce Lipson, The Biology of Beliefs, Dr. Lipson says that not even our, we're not even victims to our DNA. That everything, even our DNA, is subject to change. Everything. And how do we change that? What have I been saying? By the activity of your thinking. Very good. Very good. Hello and wow. No, seriously, that is a very strange statement that we can change things through the way we see things. Now, when I did a lesson on the, on the universe, how the universe works, I read this. I'm going to reread it to you from a book by Lynn McTaggart called The Field, The Quest for the Secret Force of the Universe. And uh, Lynn McTaggart says, another marvelously puzzling paradox about physical reality is that it does, technically doesn't exist. This zero-point field is an ocean of microscopic vibrations in the space between things a state of pure potential and infinite possibility. Particles exist in all possible states until disturbed by us, by observing or measuring, at which point they settle down, at long last into something real. In other words, she says, reality exists on a need-to-exist basis. Everything is everywhere all the time, and our minds pluck things out of this cosmic soup and sort them into time and space, thus creating what we assume to be reality. That's pretty clear, right? Huh? <laughs> what, what, what was that? Huh? <laughs> clear as mud. No, seriously. I mean, <clears throat> sorry. Infinite possibility, and the choice is what we pick. Now, that's very interesting stuff, but that's not nothing new. Nothing new about this. The Bible says, he who is within is greater than he is in the world. 
in modern English, that would be that spirit, and you could say energy, consciousness, whatever you want to call it, is source, and matter is effect. In the Gospel of Matthew 8.13, it is stated simply this way, go your way and let it be done to you as you believe, as you believe. You ever notice that, that Jesus never said, I made you well? Never says it. He always says, your faith has made you well. You have made it well. Because you pick, because you know what happened was that they had a certain condition. And then he was a trigger point, sure. But you can't do it from out externally. It has to be inside. So he was the one that was a trigger point, but it was their choice because they believed it. And they believed it to such a degree that they altered it. That's how it works. That's the theory. I'm telling you. It has taken us a long time, children of God, but we are coming around. And when we finally get to that proverbial hundredth monkey, you know, the hundredth monkey, we'll talk about that someday, we know what it is, then this place is really going to change. We're finally going to be able to create that heaven on earth that we were intended to do. On page 74 of her book, Reverend Ellen says, we don't create perfectly yet. We don't even create very well most of the time. But the knowledge that thoughts and feelings determine our reality lifts us to a new level of human awareness. Indeed it does, Reverend. Indeed it does. It is a new chapter in the human race. It is a new way of seeing things. That being said, the entire prospect, again, of whether some, we move forward in our development is contingent upon us being more mindful of our thoughts. And it's actually not so much your thoughts as it is your beliefs and your feelings. Because thoughts, a lot of times, are just fleeting. As people walking in front of your home, they're just walking there, see? The ones that matter are the ones that you invite into your home, who move in and take over the place. The ones, as Michael said, the ones held in mind, those are the ones that produce after their kind. So they're about patterns. So we have to be careful of what it is that we actually believe and hold in our minds. Greg Braden in The Divine Matrix says that Language, feelings, is the emotion of the universe. It is what you feel in your heart that matters. You can say something flippantly or whatever, and it won't matter that much. But if you feel it in your heart, the universe takes note and registers it. And that is what alters things. Now, that's very, very interesting. And now we're creating such things, and I talked about that with the metaphysics physics group the other night about Heart Math Institute, and I hope you all looked it up a little bit. If you don't, don't forget to do that. And it is saying, basically, that our hearts are the center of our being. That, in fact, our heart is much more powerful and much more intelligent than our brain is. Wow. And that's very interesting. Because if you notice all the old religions, they all have this reference to the heart center of that old wisdom 
It's a reference to the heart center. El Sagrado Corazón, we say in Spanish. The Sacred Heart, you know. It's just, uh, I remember I showed you, uh, I shared with you a quote, I'm going to tell you again. That says science is climbing the proverbial mountain of knowledge and on the top they found the Buddha. You know, so new science is taking us back to old wisdom. And heart math and people who are doing stuff like that seem to be doing the same thing. Taking us back to that old wisdom from before. And this is fascinating stuff. And again, nothing new. Reverend Ellen on her book says, the Buddha said 2,500 years ago, all that we are is the result of what we have thought. If a man acts or speaks with evil thought, pain follows him. If a man acts or speaks with a pure thought, happiness follows him like a shadow that never leaves him. Your thoughts, your feelings, your beliefs. Human beings create their experiences by the activity of their thinking. Principle three. This is very empowering. But it also comes with a warning label. Because, you see, you are always thinking. Always. And we have ingrained thoughts, embedded theology that we work with. Consequently, you are always creating. Always. Whether by intention or by default. That's your choice. Are you aware of it? Because it's happening. And then on the top of all that, we, we tend to hold on to our feelings, you know, especially when they're negative ones. You're like, oh, I can't forgive her. Why would I forgive her? <laughs> did you see what she did to me? Are you kidding me? There's no way. Anyway, so we got to get over that stuff. We do. We really, really do. Especially given, that, as I said before, that most of the time we are operating from the subconscious mind. So as the old saying goes, be careful what you wish for. But it's more than that. Be careful what you say, because your words are your reflective of your thoughts. And your thoughts are reflective of your beliefs. And as we have talked about this morning, your beliefs become your reality. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.